Hey, we're, uh, we're in a series called Unshakable, and, and we've been going through uh, the writings of Daniel, the, the book of Daniel in the Bible. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about an interesting topic. So uh, first of all, how many of you ever heard the expression, the heat is on? Yeah? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, Glenn, Glenn Fry actually wrote that song years ago for the old uh, Beverly Hills Cop movie that um, Eddie Murphy was in. Anybody ever see that? Yeah, a couple. Those of you that uh, maybe that was like 35 years ago, look at it on Netflix. Yeah, okay. Go, go look at it on Netflix. It's a great movie. Um, you know, so, so the heat is on, the heat is on. Now, that's an expression that um, actually is less than 100 years old. In fact, it, it kind of came to fruition in the uh, gangster days in the 1930s. And what it, what it meant was when they said that the heat is on, what that was, that was gangster code, not gangsta, but gangster gangster code, and what that meant was that the, that the cops are coming after you, and so it meant, you know, go run and hide and, and, and get away from that, so, but the, today we, we translate that a little bit differently, don't we? It's, it's really less about that the police are after you when the heat is on. It's more like, you know, hey, life is like complicated or, or the heat is on. I'm feeling pressure uh, to do something or to, to live into something or act a certain way. The heat is on. And, and so today we're going to go right into Daniel chapter 3. And, and this is a great chapter for us to be in because this is where he talks about the fiery furnace. Anybody ever felt like you've kind of been into like a fiery furnace in your life where the, like the heat's turned up, the pressure's on, and, and you're boiling over and all those kinds of things. So, so Daniel's going to talk to us, or we're going to read a little bit about this today. And, and the focus of the story is on his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were their Babylonian names. And, and we're going to learn a little bit about how they deal with this issue. Now, we've been, we've been also learning a little bit about King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, remember who he is? He's the, the, the most powerful man in the world during that time. He's the king of Babylon. And, and um, Nebuchadnezzar's got something that's, that he's got this huge ego, and he thinks so much of himself, and he wants the world to know that he's the most powerful person, <clears throat> and they, they, they need to, like, worship him, and they need, to, they need to, like, just, you know, be in awe of who he is. So let's pick up on this story as we talk about this guy with this huge ego. King Nebuchadnezzar made a giant image of himself, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he put it on the top or the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So think about this, this 90-foot structure or this 90-foot replica of himself and 9 feet wide and up on one of the highest points that, that you can see so all the people could see this. He gives this order to all of his officials, to the princes, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, uh, the magistrates, anybody who is in any kind of political office or office of authority. He is basically saying, you need to make sure everybody knows what they're supposed to do when something happens. So what, what goes on here is he gets to a point where it says uh, that, that, that there's going to be an official dedication of the statue and, he, and that he set it up. And he said, when they all assembled, an announcer shouted out to the people of all races and nations and languages, this is the king's command. So now he's got everybody's attention. Anytime you hear the royal orchestra start playing the special song, then you're immediately to drop everything, fall to your knees, and bow and worship the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now think about that for a second. So it'd almost be like today if, if we, if I would say, okay, when we, when we hear a certain song, you're supposed to bow down and worship whoever we think is the most powerful person in the world. 
And that's just, this is what's going on, and, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's complicated, but yet it's one of those things where, where the people are having to deal with a real challenge. Nebuchadnezzar is telling everybody, he says, it's not one thing for me to want to be your king, but I want to be your God, and I want you to worship me. Let's continue the story. Anyone who does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a giant blazing furnace, and as soon as they heard the music, Everybody bowed down before the statue and they worshiped the image of the king. Everyone. I mean, it was fear for their life. They would be burned to death in this furnace if they didn't do this. Now, folks, this happened like 2,500 years ago. And and I think that as we uh, put this into context of today, we find out that, that, that we are still falling prey to a lot of this enticement, we're falling prey to, to being pulled and lured into false idol worship. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So, so here's a couple of pointers I just kind of want to throw out that, that we learned from Daniel chapter 3 that we really want to hold on to. Here's the first one. That the world creates larger than life images for you and me to worship. Okay, so the first thing is that the world, the world has created something. What are some of the images that the world has created that we worship? How about athletes? How about musicians? And um, how about politicians and, and famous people, movie stars? I mean, the world has created these names and these people, and we worship that. I mean, are you sure we worship that? We build these giant stadiums to venerate our athletes. We, we make statues of them. We do that with, with political things as well. So we see that, that the world is enticing us to do that. I mean, we, we idolize things like sex, and we idolize things like fame and fortune. And we're kind of told that if, we're, if we don't have all of that, if we're not good looking, and if we don't have money and wealth and all those things, then we're, not an, we're a nobody. So the world has ways in which it wants us to idolize. The second thing that we see is, is that we're tempted. You and I are tempted. We're tempted to create a false image for ourselves, a false image of ourselves, I should say, that, that we want the world to think that our life is a lot greater than our life really is. Now think about this for a second. I, I read a, a story recently about how someone went out in social media and they created this um, uh, opportunity where they wanted their friends and every other person to know what a successful life that they had. I mean, they went to Europe and they traveled. They, they flew first class. There were pictures of them sitting in the first class in an aircraft. They took the high-end rails. They went to all the, uh, the major sites in Europe and they had pictures of them in all of these places. And their friends and everybody who knew them were looking at it going like, oh my gosh, that's like the trip of a world, of the world, how, of, of a lifetime. How could you do all that? This is like great stuff. And then all of a sudden they found out it was a ruse. They had simply Photoshopped themselves and all these things. And they had put it out there so that everybody would think their life was a lot bigger than it really was. And it was, it was all a lie. So there's times that, that we want the world to think that our life is a lot bigger than it really is. We're also tempted to, to create a false um, uh, image of ourselves. We're also uh, at a point where we reject the world's images and idols. That when you reject the world's images and idols, then people are going to want to burn you. Let me tell you what that means. You know, we have to stand up for something. We have values. We have integrity. We have morals. We have a compass. We have a soul. We have all of those things which say who we are uh, in, as a person of life. Our reputation, our values, all those standards. And we find out that there are times when, when people will try to burn us because, because we won't follow the false idols that exist in the world. 
You see, it says here, when the, when the people fell to their faces after the music started, and they began to worship this golden idol of King Nebuchadnezzar, there were three guys who remained standing. Only three individuals in all of Babylon, in that, in that way there, only three of them who decided that they would not bow down. And those were the three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are those three other friends who were like Daniel, who were taken out into captivity, and we've been learning a little bit about their lives, but they refused to bow down to that. And even though that they were high-ranking officials in King Nebuchadnezzar's government, they were actually governors, they defied the royal edict, they defied the royal command. They weren't going to do what society said for them to do. Let's pick up the story. But some Babylonian officials used this opportunity to denounce the Jews. And they told the king, oh, great king, we hope you live forever. Anybody know what a suck-up is? That's what that is. That's a suck-up. Oh, you're the greatest thing ever. Oh, great king. But the Jewish officials that you put in charge of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, now it's kind of like what we tell our kids, don't tattle. Okay, these three people that you put in charge, they've defied your decree. They've refused to serve your gods and they've refused to bow down and that they should be burned in the furnace. I mean, this is pretty nasty stuff. This is pretty, pretty direct here. But you know, as I read this story in chapter three, I, I start wondering, well, where's Daniel? I mean, Daniel's not mentioned at all in chapter three. I mean, so, so what we know is, is that, that, that there's something even bigger than Daniel that we've been learning about. Now we're seeing that, that how Daniel has been forthright in living, and now his three friends have caught on. So I think that chapter three is put in here to kind of let us know that now all of a sudden it's catching on. No pun intended with like fires and stuff, but it's catching on. And Daniel is nowhere in this story, but his three friends are. And we get to the point here, which is that, that if you're going to reject idols, people are going to try to burn you. People will try to burn you. Here's, here's another one. Doing the right things always makes some people angry. If you've ever done the right thing in life, you're always going to have somebody who disagrees with you. Am I right about that? Do you disagree with me? Just kidding. So, but, but the point is, though, is that you can stand up for something, but someone will always not have the same opinion or the same, same thought that you have. Daniel's friends challenge the narcissistic behavior of the, of the king of Babylon, and they kind of defiantly stand up and they say, yeah, you're the king. We understand that you have the power. We understand you're the most powerful person in the world, but what you're asking us to do, you're asking us to worship you, to bow down to you, and king, as great as you are, that's just something that we're going to draw a line in the sand and we're not going to do it at all. So they defy the king. Now listen, why why'd they defy the king? All right, let's go back in, into the beginning. You know, uh, Genesis, Exodus, we're learning a little bit about, you know, what it means, Deuteronomy. We're learning about what it means to be in covenant with God. And something called the Ten Commandments were issued. And what's the, what's the first one? God says don't do it. What is it? Don't worship false idols. Don't make any graven images of any other gods or even of me and worship it. Don't do it. So, so God is saying that, that don't defy the number one, you know, the number one of the big ten. And I'm not talking football here. But he says don't defy the number one thing. And so these three men are living into this story. Let's go on. It says, Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage 
And he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. And the king asked him, is it true that the three of you have refused to serve my gods or worship the, the, the gold statue that I set up? So now he's, he's trying to see, is there truth to this? Is he going to convict them? He says, I'll give you one more chance. If you bow down and if you worship, worship the statue, then all will be okay. I'll, I'll, I'll just forgive that this ever happened if you'll just do that. But if you refuse, he says, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace and then what God will be able, what God will be able to rescue you from my power. Do, do you hear the ego in that? What God is bigger than me? What God has more power than I have? Who's going to rescue you from this? Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. In other words, they knew that God had their back. But it brings it down to reality for you and me. So, so here we are. We're talking about when the heat is on. We're talking about this biblical story. But, but what about you? I mean, what is it that you struggle with? What is it where, where the heat is on you at this very moment? What is it that is burning you up that you're having difficulty getting your mind, your heart, and your emotion around? What is it that's happening to you at this very moment? What we have to remember is, is that we all go through these things. None of us are exempt from that. But what we have to remember is what the Scripture promises. The Scripture promises that, that whenever we go through these things, that God is, is visibly present, that God is here in the midst, that God walks with you. Jesus said, I will be with you, what, some of the times? I'll be with you every now and then? He said, what, always. He says, I'll be with you always until the end of the age, until the end of the problem, until the end of life. Whatever it is, he'll be with you. It's one thing for us to say those words that I know that Jesus will be with me. It's another thing to actually believe it. And folks, that's what I call a crisis of faith. So many of us are so scared that, that if we ever have a doubt, if we ever have a, a twinkling of a, a, of a situation where we're just not sure and we don't want to ask a question, we think if we are just human and we just say, wait a minute, I don't understand this, that, that we've committed some um, a sin that, that can't be forgiven. That's not true. Sometimes there's honest doubt. And it's our faith that through the faith of others, when ours isn't strong and others are, that leads us to the greater truth. Jesus said, I am with you. So as we, as we look at this, we see a couple of things, that when we're in a problem, sometimes God will save us from the crisis. It's what I call a, a, a holy detour, that you're in the middle of a crisis, and that there are some times that God actually does intervene, and you are detoured out of the situation that you're in um, mysteriously, holistically, and God provides a different solution. Sometimes God saves us through the crisis. It's not avoiding it. It's not, um, you know, bouncing around. It's, it's actually when we go through it and we see the strength that comes when we persevere through the crisis upon which we are. Sometimes God saves us by the crisis. It's the fact that we're actually in it, that that crisis the thing that we don't want, the thing that we pray away, the thing that we don't want to have happen to us, the fact that it does, it actually saves us from the greater problem. I explained that a couple of weeks ago in that employment situation where because I chose to leave when asked to do something that was illegal, 
I left, it brought hardship on my family because I had to find a new job. But unlike the guy who asked me to do it, I wasn't arrested and I wasn't tried for that because it was a crime. So sometimes God does it by it. But why does God allow us to go through the pain in life? That's probably one of the, the, the largest questions that looms in our lives. Why? Why does God allow this? I believe that the reason why these things happen to us, I believe the reason why uh, the heat gets turned up in our life is so that, that God can work on our character. And it's when my character becomes perfected that I become more like Jesus Christ. It's when your character becomes more perfected. It's when you survive and you live through and you persevere in the strength that you become the greater person. These guys had given a direct challenge to Nebuchadnezzar and they basically said, okay, king, here it is. We're not gonna do what you said. We're not gonna do it at all. In fact, we're gonna be defiant about this. Listen to what happens now. Nebuchadnezzar became so furious that his face distorted with rage and he commanded the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. Now imagine that, I mean, I mean how hot can that be? I mean, hot is hot, right? But seven times? Then the king ordered some of his strongest soldiers to bind the hands of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in their feet with ropes, and then he threw them into the furnace fully clothed. But because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire, the flames leapt out of and killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. Oops. You know? So now all of a sudden more, so the soldiers die and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in this fire. But securely tied up, they fell into the blazing flames of the furnace. Let's stop there for a second. God will walk with us. God will walk with you. He promises to walk with you through everything. There is nothing that can stop or prohibit God from doing that. You're never alone. He promises to be there. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumps up in an amazement, and he asks his advisors, didn't we tie up the three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, we did, the advisor said. Well, look now, he shouted. You can see four men now walking around freely in the fire, unharmed. And this fourth man looks like a son of the gods. He wasn't a son of the gods, he was the son of God. It's Jesus. Jesus is in the midst of the fire with those whom he loves. And that's the promise that we have to hold on to. And so quickly we want to just abate that. But we have to embrace that truth. So what is it that, that, that you're, you're going through that's a fire? What is it that's just you know, burning you up? And are you willing to trust God enough to just let it go and to give it to him? There are over 7,000 promises of hope in the scriptures. Let me read to you one of them. It comes from Isaiah 43. When you go through deep waters and, and in great trouble, I will be with you. That's the presence and the promise of God. When you go through, when you, when you go through rivers of difficulty, you don't have to drown. When you walk through fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord. Now notice what it says, when. When you walk through. When you go through the flames. When you're persecuted. It doesn't say if, it says when. So 
But you and I have to understand that it happens. Stuff happens. And in the midst of that, we need to be unshakable like the three in the, in the furnace to know that the fourth is walking with us and that fourth is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.